Well, uh, hopefully you'll be able to have some more time to fellowship and connect after the service. But I do want to welcome you uh, to this Thanksgiving service. So grateful uh, that we have the joy to be together. And uh, as we do celebrate Thanksgiving together, I have many fond memories of Thanksgiving in years past. Uh, We all have these. We all have these moments that are ingrained in our history. Uh, I can taste the apple cranberry crisp that my mom would make often. I can even uh, remember some of the silly conversations we had at the kids' table. Uh, I don't know if any of you have a kids' table and a parents' table, uh, but that's, that's how we celebrated together. I can even feel the wind blowing past my face as I ran the bases for our softball Thanksgiving game. And all these memories are important, and we all have our cherished memories. But the beautiful thing about Thanksgiving is the God who has provided all these blessings. And if we're not careful, Thanksgiving can very easily become an on-ramp to the consumerism of Christmas. It can make us so self-focused that we forget God's kingdom and His providence of our daily bread. It can make us feel as though the whole world essentially is wrapping around us and causing us to give glory to ourselves for our glory, our honor, and our wealth. Instead of delighting in God's kingdom and self-giving love, we can make thanksgiving into a display of our many kingdoms of self and our self-serving, self-focused, and self-praising love. I think about all the ways that we celebrate thanksgiving with self-display. We make it more about the popular and prominent people that sit at our tables. We can make it more about the size and the value of our turkey. We can make it about the creativity with how we make make the turkey that we eat. Uh, Some of us have a baked turkey waiting for us. Uh, Some of us a fried turkey. And and some of you are more creative than that. Uh, You have even taken a duck and stuffed that duck inside the turkey. Or maybe you've taken a chicken and hidden it under the outside of a turkey. Or you're even bolder than that. Maybe you have taken... A duck stuffed in a chicken, stuffed in a turkey, and you're inviting people to have a turducken. Whatever you're doing this Thanksgiving on your table placements, we need to remember that this is not what Thanksgiving is all about. On the other side, we can make it often about those who rejected our invitation to Thanksgiving meals. Or we can make it about how little food we can afford to buy. And how much of a wreck our house is now, and how little time we have to clean it for later. When we use Thanksgiving to display our great worth or to hide our great poverty, we miss the main point. Thanksgiving can delight our hearts in the God who provides, when we have plenty or lack much. For Christians, this Thanksgiving season should be a sign and even a pointer to God's gracious character and His providing heart. Understanding God's grace in Thanksgiving will prepare our hearts for the greatest gift in the Advent season. That is the gift of Jesus Christ Himself. What will deliver us this Thanksgiving from this self-display? What will cause our delight in God's grace and His kingdom this Thanksgiving? Well, I venture to say that we must see God's grace as our King. We must see all of our abilities as gifts from His kingdom. And we must see all of our resources as offerings for His kingdom. 
The Word of God today is going to be taught through 1 Chronicles 29, and that is found in your Pew Bible in pages uh, 357. Hear the reading of the Word of the Lord. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your right hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the heart of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of all their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, our gracious King, that you have given us your word. But more than that, we praise you that you have given us your Son, with whom we feast and enjoy Thanksgiving today. We pray, O Lord, that your Spirit would open our eyes to see the wonders of your word, to sing the wonders of your love and the glory and majesty of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the movie The Hobbit, we see various ways that self-display shapes the culture of the dwarves. Tolkien said of the dwarves, Dwarves are not heroes, but a calculating folk with a great idea of the value of money. Some are tricky and treacherous and pretty bad lots. And others are not but are decent enough people like Thorin and company, if you don't expect much. Throughout The Hobbit, we find that the dwarves have a strong appetite for money. This obsession with money even corrupts the noble King Thorin, 
He sought to reclaim the fortress of the dwarves to build his kingdom once again on the mountain of gold. As he passes through a neighboring town, a man confronts him. And he says this. He says that Thorn has the blind ambition of a mountain king. He is so driven by greed, he cannot see beyond his own desire. They end up taking the mountain through great loss. As the army fights on behalf of the king, he locks himself in the castle to guard his gold. Thorin says this, and listen closely to what he says. He says, life is cheap, but treasure such as this cannot be counted in lives lost. It is worth all the blood we can spend. Dwaylin addresses the king and says, you cannot see what you have become. This king became corrupted by his love of money, and it almost brought his king to utter ruin. There's an author named James K. Smith, and he says that to be human is to desire the kingdom, some version of the kingdom which is the aim of our quest. Every one of us is on a kind of Arthurian quest for the Holy Grail, that hoped-for, longed-for, dreamed-of picture of the good life, the realm of human flourishing that we pursue Without ceasing. Implicitly and tacitly, it is such visions of the kingdom that pull us to get up in the morning and suit up for the quest. So a question I have for us this morning is what's waking you up in the morning? What vision of the kingdom has so captured your imagination and directs your heart's affections? In our text this morning, we see the vision of God's gracious kingdom that directs King, David, King David's love his leadership in his life. David is at the end of his time as king and is passing his kingdom to Solomon. He has gathered all the provisions necessary to build a palace temple for the king of creation. He has given a charge to Solomon and the people of Israel. In this corporate prayer, King David causes us to see our gracious king and to delight in his gracious kingdom. But first, we must see God as our gracious king. Now, I was saying this 21st century, it's very difficult to see anyone else as king other than ourselves. We are our final authority in all things in regards to what is right or wrong. We direct our lives according to our plans. We establish our priorities. We think we know what's best. And so we build our many kingdoms of self-display. Some of this kingdom of self comes from pride and others, granted, comes from abuse. We are a people prone towards pride. We live to make us great. We often seek to prove ourselves as better, wiser, stronger, faster. So we build our mini kingdom of self-display. But this isn't the only story. Others of us have been abused by a wrong use of authority and power. We have seen people set up unfair regulations. We've been disrespected in the workplace or at school. We are withheld from certain benefits that should be ours. So we throw off all authority and we say no one will be the king over us. Or the other side of this is we find our authority in our nation. We build our lives around our own kingdoms, our own people groups. And when we do this, we often pit our culture against other cultures. And we miss the broader kingdom of God. Our race, our people group, Our nation is not the ultimate kingdom of God. But God has called all of us 
into a gracious kingdom to unite all of us together in love and to delight in His kingdom ways. But why should we bow our lives to this King of the Scriptures? What about Him and His kingdom is worthy of our attention, our devotion, our delight? We'll look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. This King is the worthy King. He is full of greatness, glory, and majesty. David praises God's exalted greatness because this King is the one who owns it all. Everything in heaven and on earth is His. Therefore, riches and honor come from this King, this gracious King who is able to make great and to give strength to all. He is exalted as head above all and rules it all. He does not keep all these glorious resources to Himself like a greedy master. We see that this gracious King is one who is benevolent and kind and shares all of His resources with us. Think about the last time that you enjoyed the warmth of the sun, where you reaped the harvest from the rain, where you enjoyed beautiful sights like the mountains of Virginia, or tasted delicious food as you're about to taste. All of these, all of these flow from a gracious King who has opened up His world to us for our enjoyment. This is undeserved favor and abundant grace. Having all power and might, owning all of creation, He is the victorious King who always triumphantly accomplishes His purposes. And we see this triumphant victory throughout the Scriptures as we read that His strong hand defeats some of the greatest powers present among the Israel nation. David saw this power on display since he was a youth. We all remember the stories, don't we? That David was delivered from the ferocious lions in the wilderness, from those giants, those Philistines who had enormous height and strength. You see, King David knew that every enemy he faced, he faced in the name of the Lord. The God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear would deliver him from every enemy he faced. And so surely this is why he says, God is the victory. All of these earthly victories point to a much greater victory accomplished through the King Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.37, Paul reminds us that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Jesus put an end to the reign and rule of sin in God's creation by dying in our place on the cross and rising in victory. He died in our place. And this triumphant victory is true for all who trust in Jesus' work. And what's so interesting about this verse in Romans is we are so identified with the victory of this king that we are fellow conquerors with him. When we gaze at the greatness of God's gracious kingdom, it destroys all of our small efforts to build our kingdoms of self-display. It empowers us to delight in God's kingdom of grace. Well, out of an awareness of God's gracious kingdom, in his awareness that all of life is a gift from God, David asked a very crucial question. Look at verse 14. He says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? 
For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. He goes on to say that all the abundance provided for the building of this temple palace has come from God's hand itself. But didn't David earn all these good gifts through good leadership? And and just a second, when you go back home and you eat all this glorious food on your table, isn't this the result of your hard work that you did in the workplace day in and day out? How can David say that all things come from you when we know for sure that all things come from our skills and our abilities? Is this just a nice statement, a platitude that we should hold on to and say? Well, I will say this. If the first fundamental question in the world is, who is God? The second question that we must ask is, who am I? And even more than that, whose am I? Where did you come from and how did you get what you enjoy? Who put together the various chromosomes in your cells and made up your DNA? Who gave you the capacity to think, the capacity to build muscle, the capacity to use language, the capacity to experience the world through all these various and glorious senses we've been given? Did you determine your parents, the place you would be born, the culture that would shape you, the color of your skin, and the opportunities that would be open to you? If we sit back and think about all we are and who we are, we will realize that all we enjoy is not because of our hard work, but was given to us quite apart from our effort. So who am I? Well, the scripture says clearly that I am a dependent creature bestowed with various gifts from the good hand of my creator king. All things come from you. And of your own have we given you. See, this is God's gracious kingdom. And only seeing this gracious kingdom will our kingdom of self-display be toppled and brought to ruin. Well, realizing that all things come from the abundance of God's grace, we offer our lives for His kingdom. Look at verse 29-17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. King David and all Israel offered their resources to God freely and joyously, because they knew that it all came from God's gracious hand. But often we cling so tightly to our resources, our money, our time, our skills, We want them for ourselves to build our own kingdoms. Our desires are crooked and turned inward. They're not turned uprightly towards God. We seek to accumulate and build our own name rather than building for the expansion of God's kingdom of love. This is why David closes his prayer with a heartfelt cry to God. He prays that God would change the hearts of his covenant people that they would become more gracious and joyful. Look at verse 18. He pleads with the Lord, Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. This grace-filled heart comes only from the work of the Holy Spirit that draws our affections to the God of all grace. Therefore, David prays that God would grant the coming King Solomon 
to have a whole heart that he would obey and keep God's commands. Having a heart of gratitude is not something that we just develop through grit and grease. It is something that comes to us as a gift from God who melts our hearts by his grace. And what would direct our heart toward God other than the reality that God with burning passion has loved us, his people? His heart burned so much that it readied and directed him towards the cross of Christ. What will direct our hearts to this God of all grace, but the reality that God who owns everything gave away everything for our salvation, that we would receive everything of the riches of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, He had it all. He gave up everything. He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. We have it all. What more could we ask for but what we find in Jesus Christ? So then our call is to surrender and to cry out to God for this Christ. To find riches and joy in relationship with Him. And if you do not know this grace and acceptance this Thanksgiving, let today be the day of your salvation. Trust in this Savior who had it all, who gave it all, that we might receive it all. People of God, this Thanksgiving, God has made you rich in Christ Jesus. Because He became poor for you. So let's make this Thanksgiving about delighting in our gracious King and following Him in His gracious kingdom. Let us give our life to this King in great joy and freely. To God be the glory in Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this great grace that you, being our exalted and glorious King, lowered yourself to dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that though you had it all, you gave it all, that we would get it all in Jesus. Pray, O Lord, that you would help us to adore this Savior today, that your Spirit would empower us to know this great love and to build for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.